This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. And it is a very solemn day, but a very important day. As we all know, it's Good Friday, and Good Friday actually is one of my favorite days of the year, and I think every Christian who loves the Lord Jesus and loves what he has done for us will relate to that. Easter's coming. We know that Resurrection Sunday is coming just a few days from now, but we know that this is the day that our Lord gave his life and shed his blood to save us. And every single year, I'm just reminded of how badly I need a Savior. Every single day, no matter how long I've been a Christian, I reflect back on what Jesus did for me, and I say, oh, Lord, thank you so much. I would have had no hope whatsoever without you. And so I'm going to be talking a little bit about Good Friday here in a minute. I just wanted to pause briefly and thank each and every one of you who have been giving to our Bible League campaign. We are trying to send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians around the world, many of whom are in really, really dire circumstances right now, and they are in need of Bibles in their own language. And you guys have stepped up and then some, but I want to encourage you. We really want to continue to send as many Bibles as we can. So if you've been thinking of giving, you still can. $5 is all it costs to send one Bible and it's $35 to send seven. So whatever you'd like to give, we would be so appreciative. The number to call is 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there is a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. Now, I look across the news cycle all the time. This is something I'm constantly doing and I'm reading everything and I'm clicking on everything and I'm trying to read long pieces and tweets and social media posts and on and on and on. And it is depressing out there. I don't have to tell you that. It is depressing out there. It's depressing because we're all locked down. It's depressing because we see the economy faltering. It's depressing because people are losing their jobs and their businesses in some circumstances. It's depressing because the left is trying to exploit it all for its greater socialist goals. All of it is depressing. Plus, we don't know exactly when the economy will be able to restart. And we've got kids at home and there's a lot of turmoil and a lot of uncertainty. And uh, on top of all of that, we're looking toward Easter Sunday and even today where we'd normally be going to church and then we'd be going to church again on Easter morning. Now we can't. We can't go to church. At least we can't leave our house to go to church. We can have home church, which we've been doing, as I know so many millions of people have been doing. But it's a bleak time, and it's unprecedented. None of us have ever experienced anything like this in our lives. And I'll tell you what really struck me. I went back and I was reading Matthew 26 and Matthew 27. And I think that's a really important thing to do, to just sit down and read the entire account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, to remember what all was said and what all was done. I know we all look back and say, I know the story. I know Peter denied Jesus and he said he wouldn't and then he did and then the cock crowed. We know all these details of the crucifixion, but every single time I read it, I get something new out of it. And I just wanted to share a little bit of what struck me as I was rereading Matthew 26 and 27. Throughout this entire passage of scripture, it struck me that Jesus spends an inordinate amount of time, at least in the account, predicting what would happen. 
prophesying what would happen. And of course, we know the Lord did that all the time. But during this particular account, it just was amazing to see how many times he did it. For example, when you start out in Matthew 26, and it says, when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the son of man is to be handed over for crucifixion. So he not only knew that he would die, he knew exactly how he would die. Then we have the woman who comes to him with an alabaster vial of perfume and pours it on his head and gets people all hot and you know, upset about it. And he says, you will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. There again, he knew he would die. And then Judas went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. And then he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. And on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. There's another account where the Lord is saying, my time's almost up. Then when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the disciples. And there he did it again as they were eating. He said, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. So there he is prophesying that one of his disciples would be the one to turn him in. And they all said, surely not I, Lord. And then he said, the son of man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, surely it is not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. He knew he would be betrayed. He knew that one of his disciples would be his betrayer. And he knew exactly who it was. Then you have the Lord's Supper instituted. And he talks about his blood. Now, we take that for granted when we look backwards on it, because, of course, we understand that the Passover was a foreshadowing of the Lord's Supper. But think about this. They're taking Passover, but Jesus is still alive. And Jesus is talking about my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. I'm going to shed my blood for you. They sang a hymn. Then Jesus said, you will all fall away because of me this night. There he is. He's prophesying that all of his disciples will walk away from him, which is what happened. He tells Peter, you will deny me three times. And right before that, he says, but after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. He's predicting his resurrection, which he did obviously before when he said on the third day, I will raise him up. You know, this temple will be destroyed, but on the third day, it will be raised up. Again and again and again and again. Then we have the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says to the disciples, behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. So he's betrayed, he's arrested. And then he says, put your sword back into its place. You know, remember that passage. And he says, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? He's not only predicting, what he's saying is the Bible has always said this. Your scriptures have told you this. It's right there and I'm predicting what will happen. And I'm also confirming that the word says so because I am the word. It's just amazing. And he goes on to say, every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. He's saying this as they came to arrest him, but all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. He knows that he is fulfilling prophecy. Now, 
there, you can go on and on and on. But when he's before Caiaphas and it, he says again, you know, they, they state about him, the chief priest and the whole council say, this man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Another reference to his coming resurrection. The high priest stood up and said to him, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, why do I focus on that? Because when you understand as a Christian that every single thing that Jesus predicted about himself during Holy Week, as we call it now, came to pass, then you can be sure that what he said there, that I will come again on the clouds of glory, that's going to come to pass too. And everything that Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse about the end of the age and the signs of the end of the age and what would happen before his coming, that's also true. And the fact that he linked all of what he predicted back to the scriptures, back to the Old Testament, should give you so much peace and comfort. And you know what is even more incredible to me is this. The greatest tragedy of all time that happened on Good Friday was the greatest thing that's ever happened. Think about that. The greatest tragedy that ever was The son of God being crucified, an innocent, sinless man crucified for our sins, turned out to be the greatest event in human history. And you can trust this God because he did rise again from the dead and because he did lay down his life for you, even though the legions of angels could have rescued him, he didn't do it. He was fulfilling what the plan was from his father. And you can be assured that your hope in Jesus Christ is the greatest hope of all. We're going to come back on Janet Mefford today after this. This is Janet Mefford. Did you know that persecuted believers are praying to receive their own Bible? Nepo is a pastor in Africa attacked while preaching by extremists, and he's praying for Bibles for former Muslims who are now following Christ. Ada was forced into an arranged marriage to an abusive atheist in Europe, but her godly witness led him to Jesus. Emilio lost everything after his home was burned by witches in Latin America, and he's praying for a Bible to share Christ with them. Will you be the answer to these pleas for God's word and see many others come to faith? $5 sends one Bible. $35 sends seven Bibles, and a limited time Bible for Bible match will help us reach our goal of sending God's word to 1,200 persecuted Christians. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or by clicking the Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. 800-YES-WORD. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. 
Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. If you think that the climate alarmists would let the coronavirus pandemic go to waste, think again. Pope Francis has said the pandemic is one of nature's responses to humans ignoring climate change. A commission chairman at the World Health Organization even said that coronavirus has revealed a new way of operating for governments as a model for the climate crisis. He said the government can spend anything in the context of the coronavirus crisis and they have socialized the economy. Never let a serious crisis go to waste and the left isn't. And my next guest is out with a new report showing that many climate alarmists are trying to use coronavirus as a means of advancing their green agenda. Steve Malloy is founder of JunkScience.com and a policy advisor to the Heartland Institute, and he is out with a report called Never Waste a Crisis, Climate Alarmism Surfs Coronavirus. He joins us now. Steve, it's great to have you with us. How are you? Good, Janet. Thanks for having me. Thank you. While the climate activists seem to see a silver lining in all of this, of course, their definition of silver lining might be a little (laughs) bit different than mine. Tell us what's going on out there. Well, of course, coronavirus has just blasted every other issue, you know, out of the news, uh, including, you know, the alleged climate crisis. But the climate alarmists aren't taking this laying down. And so they're, they're doing their best to, you know, try to surf the crisis and keep, the, keep remain relevant and, you know, also try to actually use the crisis as like an excuse for going into climate. You know, for example, uh, in my report that I did for Heartland, um, Democracy for America, which is a liberal advocacy group, um, you know, they say, well, spending two trillion dollars on a stimulus bill shows that we can prove we can uh, actually afford the Green New Deal. Mm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> one example. Grief. You know, not, another example is, um, well, you know, the good news. Uh, Sky News columnist in the UK wrote that. Well, the good news for climate alarmists is that. You know, coronavirus is going to kill off the old people, most of whom are climate skeptics. Nice. So it's this whole, whole <laughs> range of twisted thoughts. There was a teen activist wrote in the Washington Post, in the Washington Post of all places. Um, she writes that, well, teens have given up spring break. Therefore, you know, you old people owe us something. You should support us on climate because, after all, by giving up spring break, we've allowed you to live to see next year. Oh, man. Of course, where are they going to live? If they don't get jobs out of this destroyed economy, grandma is going to be the only place they have to live. Yeah, mommy, daddy and grandparents, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, how do you think they're thinking about this crisis? Because it is true that anytime there's a crisis, the left does seem to be scheming. How can we use this to reach our goals? But well, how are they thinking about it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're really extremely envious because they're like, wow, you know, we've gotten rid of everybody's civil liberties. We're in a police state, which is what they want, where the government controls everything. I mean, yeah. just I mean, look at how government has has uh, you know taken to this police state. They just it's just all government officials. They love it. 
They do. Right? They love it. And, and the left especially loves it because this is what they want. So they're just envious because they're thinking like, oh, so how can we go from this into a climate police state? Yeah, that's what they want. You know, I thought about that because I was looking at this story at NPR that just came about yesterday, and it was talking about small town hospitals closing just as the coronavirus arrives in rural America. And there are alarming number of small hospitals that are really struggling and even having to shut down in some cases, at least temporarily, because they're not seeing this wave of patients that everybody said they would see. And right away, I thought to myself, well, the Green New Deal people would love this because they want to herd us all into cities anyway. Why not do something? something like make sure rural America can't, you know, exist anymore right. if their hospitals which, are gone. Which, of course, is really twisted because, you know, the coronavirus uh, crisis shows that, you know, living in, dense, in a dense urban setting, everyone getting on a crowded subway car like in New York, it's not really what you want during flu season or, an ep- or a pandemic like this, is it? No, not at all. Not at all. But, of course, they have to weaponize this. And I'm wondering, when I, I know that you had also written about that WHO commission chairman who said, hey, you know, if they can shut down the economy for this, uh, this is good. I mean, maybe this is something we can do if uh, we can apply it to the climate crisis. How likely do you think it is that they actually could do what we're doing right now to achieve their Green New Deal? You know, it's just a matter of them getting into power. That's all it is. It's all about, you know, everything, is, everything they do, everything the left does is about getting power. It's not about making government work better or helping the poor or the, you know, disfavored or uh, the, the quote-unquote privilege. It's about get, getting power. And if they get the power, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna move towards this sort of climate police state. It's, you know, they were doing it slowly, uh, over the past decade, you know, it speeded up under Obama. Um, you know, I think Trump has uh, just <laughs> made them uh, push pushed them to the edge, and and I think they're just they're going to do it as soon as they can get the power. Yeah, and that's the scary part of it. This election is really important. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, good old Greta was saying that this lockdown and spending is something that also could be applied to the climate crisis. I mean, here she is with her wisdom of 16 years coming up with this, (laughs) coming up with this. But, you know, you listen to some of this stuff. One of the other things that you highlighted in your report is Extinction Rebellion. People will know about them. Humans are the disease. Coronavirus is the cure. They They seem awfully gleeful in some parts here that people are dying as long as they're the people that they don't want here, like old people. Well, yeah, you know, part and parcel of the climate movement are the population control freaks. Right. Um, you know, they just, they don't like people. They're born and uh, they don't care if no one else is born. <laughs> as True. Fact, other people being born just sort of cramp their style, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, you let off the show with the quote from the Pope, which I thought was, that's really bizarre because... You know, the guy, the Pope, is supposed to be a man of God, and here he is saying that, essentially, coronavirus is nature's revenge for climate. I mean, there's so much wrong with that, but, you know, one of the main things wrong with it is he's supposed to be a man of God, but here he is preaching pantheism. Yeah, exactly. It's very twisted. It's very twisted. Maybe more a man of Marx than he is a man yeah. of God. I mean, really. Yeah. Well, he I never. Call him the Red Pope. There you go. I, I, you know, he never really fails to meet the opportunity that's afforded him when he can make some statement about climate change. He seems to really be into that. Right, right. No, he came out with that encyclical uh, about five years ago where, you know, he basically said that we should stop using fossil, fossil fuels. And, and uh, which, you know, implies that the poor can just go to hell because there's how else can we help them with the fossil fuels and the wealth from fossil fuels? Yeah. 
but yeah, no, he, he seems to embrace virtually every left-wing cause and climate is among them. He sure does. What about President Trump pushing back? You mentioned that, and that's been so significant. When Nancy Pelosi and her minions were trying to put all this Green New Deal garbage into that last relief bill, he cried foul. He was very open about it, as were a lot of other Republicans. But, you know, that's not going to stop them. They just want to keep putting pushing this forward and pushing this forward. Yeah. And I'm wondering what your opinion is, Steve, on, on whether or not the American people really are susceptible to buying into this. When you look at the climate gate scandals that came out and some of the whistleblowers who have revealed that data was messed with, yeah. what is the, the greater picture on the skepticism that people actually have had well, as it's gone along? I don't know on? that, you know, it's, it's not so much what, what people think because, uh, you know, I mean, anybody who really thinks about this probably opposes it. Uh, what's important, though, is what people in Washington think. You know, if if, but for President Trump, a lot of this stuff would already be happening because yeah. President Trump is the skeptic skeptic. He's yeah. the skeptic in chief, and he yeah. has done yeoman's work. I mean, there's a lot of Republicans that would just roll over for Nancy Pelosi and various aspects of the Green New Deal. Um, you know, all the, the, the welfare for the wind and solar industry. Um, you know, there's a lot of that in Republican states. So you have a lot of Republican senators and congressmen pushing for that now. So you know, the only thing we have going for us really in Washington is President Trump. And thank God he's been so strong against it. Yeah, that's right. I I wonder, too, another thing that I've heard a lot of people talk about is obviously when you go into a grocery store right now or a big box retailer like Walmart or Target, you see a lot of empty shelves. And, you know, I've told people when I was in the Soviet Union, when I was a teenager, uh, you saw empty shelves as a rule. That, That was the norm was empty shelves. And Americans are not used to seeing that. But the difference here is that you will see the supply chain kicking in and those shelves will be restocked and they're restocked and restocked and restocked. Do you see this as being a potential pro-argument here for capitalism that will stay with people? Hey, our our shelves filled up and that's because we're not socialists. Well, uh, of course. I mean, and President Trump is right. You know, as soon as we let people go back to work, the economy is going to rebound back. People are going to start going out because it's what they want to do. And our economy will pick up again because we, you know, we're in a free market. There's, you know, these, um, uh, like Soviet Union and socialist economic systems, I mean, they just, they can't even handle a normal economy. Something yeah. like this, is, it must be devastating and deadly to, to live there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Do you think that as the economy has been faltering and nobody knows yet how long it will falter and how bad it will get in terms of unemployment, how do you think that climate activists could possibly exploit that situation to their own ends? Well, uh, you know, I think a lot of the reason that we have we have shut down the economy and coronavirus crisis has, you know, hit 11 is because we have a presidential election coming up. And I think the left and, you know, the climate activists are just a variety of, you know, folks on the left. Um, you know, they're as communistic as any of them. And they, want, they, they have to get rid of Trump. And, you know, they tried everything. <laughs> they tried, you know, we went through the impeachment hoax. Yeah. And uh, you know, obviously coronavirus is not a hoax, but, you know, they're trying to destroy the economy. And, they, they, you know, they almost have a race to Trump's stock market. Um, and I, I think, you know, they're going to want to keep the economy shut as long as possible, have as much pain in hopes that, you know, they can get Biden elected. Uh, I don't see it happening. I think I think President Trump, you know, he's on to what they're trying to do, obviously. Uh, You know, he's you know, he he shut down the economy so that we could get a grip on, you know, know, we could flatten the curve. But I think we're going to start opening it up in May and uh, hopefully by the fall, everything will be back to normal. 
Yeah, I'm really hoping so. Uh, of course, they like us being inside, don't they? Because it reduces greenhouse gas emissions. That's another, another good <laughs> well, thumbs up there. I see all the time. Yeah, the, you know, the skies are blue. I even saw an article saying that since, since coronavirus, uh, the skies in uh, you know, uh, really heavily polluted places like uh, India and China are, you, know, you get blue sky now. But you know, I'm sure those people would rather have their jobs and economy and livelihoods back uh, with the dirty hair, which wasn't really hurting them anyway. Yeah. You know, there's no, no point in having blue skies if you're locked inside. There you go. Steve Malloy from JunkScience.com and the Heartland Institute. Thanks so much, Steve, for being with us. Thanks, Janet. All right. You take care. We'll be back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. This pandemic obviously has wreaked havoc on millions of our lives, both medically and economically. But one bright spot in all of this is that there are millions of children at home right now who are not being allowed into public school. And their parents have the burden or the delight, as we would say, of educating them right now. Leaders of a new group called Public School Exit say this is actually a historic opportunity to save these children from sexualization, indoctrination, and dumbing down. So we're going to talk about it now with educator Alex Newman, who is co-founder of Public School Exit. Alex, so good to have you with us. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Janet. Thank you for being with us. Talk a little bit, if you would, about this important moment. None of us saw this coming, but this really could be a good opportunity for parents to reconsider their educational options for their kids. What are your thoughts on it all? Yeah, it really is a phenomenal opportunity. This is a you know once in a lifetime chance for first of all for parents to try out home education. You know, I think a lot of parents they feel inadequate. They've been told that they're inadequate. That you need to be a specialist and have a degree in education to educate your own children. But we know that's not true, right? Homeschooled children, even when their parents don't even have a high school diploma, do far better than the victims of the government schools. And so we're hoping that as parents experiment with home education, they'll realize that first of all they're quite capable of doing it, and second of all it's very good for their children. They're going to do better academically and, and certainly morally uh, and intellectually and pretty much on, on every front socially as well. Uh, the second thing on this issue is that oftentimes for the first time, you have all these children who are at home and the parents now are seeing some of what their children are being exposed to in school. Actually, I just spoke with a mother yesterday who uh, she had a 14-year-old son and uh, she logged into the school system to get some of the schoolwork that they're supposed to be doing at home and she was horrified. She was mortified. And so right there, she made the decision to withdraw her child from that public school. This is an incredible opportunity and uh, we hope that the homeschool movement and Christian schools will add millions of new students to their ranks. Wow, just out of curiosity, what was it the mother had seen that gave her so much you know, consideration to taking her child out of public school? What, what happened? Yeah, my understanding is that it had to do with uh, sexual matters, and uh, you know, I think it's going to be a, a big surprise for a lot of parents. You know, a lot yeah. of parents don't realize yet that their children are being exposed to you know, 
very radical sexual education at very early ages. I mean, they're being exposed to uh, fraudulent versions of history, totally outlandish science that, you know, purports to claim that there's no God and that we, you know, we just came from slime and it's all a big cosmic accident <laughs> and our lives have no meaning. Yep. You know, a lot of parents don't realize that this is going on. And uh, we know for a fact that many are finding out now, many of them for the first time, what's actually going on here. Well, that's an upside. It's very good for parents to finally know what's going on. And that's that's a good thing for that child. Absolutely. Talk a little bit, if you would, about the interest in home education and some of the online options that is apparently these options are surging right now. What are you hearing from parents across the board about, hey, I'm really kind of rethinking this home education thing. This has been really good for our family. Yeah, and we're hearing so much of that right now. You know, we've got several other uh, leaders in this organization that are all deeply involved in this movement. We have uh, E. Ray Moore with Exodus Mandate. Uh, we have Dr. Duke Pesta, who's a university professor, and he oversees the online uh, K-12 School Freedom Project Academy. Uh, we've got Dran Reese from Salt and Light Council. So these are all uh, men and women who have been deeply involved in this movement for a long time. And all of us are hearing the same thing, you know, and, and in the homeschool community, you talk to homeschool parents, you'll, you'll see they're all hearing the same thing. All these other parents who, you know, used to be a little bit suspicious of homeschooling and, you know, suddenly they're like, hey, can you help us out? You know, where do we find good resources? What's a good tool to learn about this? Uh, and, you know, millions of people now are thinking about this seriously for the first time. And everybody's talking about it. And it's at the point now where all these different organizations are, are making resources available for free uh, to prospective students. You have, um, you know, online schools that enrollment is just going through the roof. Uh, very, very encouraging things. And, and we're hopeful that when schools open back up, maybe after the summer, uh, they will do so with millions fewer victims. Well, one of the things you've also pointed out at Public School Exit is the fact that children are not even learning the basics. It isn't just the radical sex ed, which we would all object to strenuously, and some of the other things, Common Core and the like. But but what about this issue of kids not even getting a good education on the, the, the reading, writing, arithmetic aspect of education, which is the baseline for everything that they're supposed to be learning in the public schools? What is going on out there? Uh, it, it, it's mind-blowing how bad this has gotten, Janet. And nobody has to believe me or you or, or anybody else. I mean, the government will tell you this, right? They just released uh, late last year their uh, latest results for the so-called National Assessment of Educational Progress. They call it the Nation's Report Card. It's uh, produced by the U.S. Department of Education. And they found, just to give you one example of the kind of data they're producing, over two-thirds of eighth graders are not proficient in any core subject. Nothing. Not reading, not writing, not math, not history, nothing. They're not, pro- and, and, you know, by proficient, we're not talking about they're good at it. We're not talking about they're experts. They've mastered it. We're talking basic proficiency. Uh, if you look at the reading data, you have districts where the overwhelming majority of the students are illiterate um, nationwide. We, we see millions and millions of illiterate children. They're graduating from high school, and they can't even read their own high school diploma. And this is the government's data showing this. So parents who think that they're sending their children to school to get an education uh, are sorely mistaken. And I think a lot of them are going to be learning that over the next few months here as we're in this uh, coronavirus lockdown. Well, I think so, too. What are the reasons that you hear from Christian parents in particular about why they put their children in public schools? Is it largely because mom is working and so public, I mean, home education is not an option? What are you hearing from parents in the Christian world about why public schools are okay for their families? Yeah, and you know, one of our, our founders and leaders who's, who's really been involved in this for decades, uh, Ray Moore, he's been dealing with this exact question. He's been encouraging uh, evangelicals to leave the public school now for over 20 years. And it, it's always 
excuses. You know, Christian parents have, have an inner sense that something's not right with this, but they come up with rationalizations for it. You know, one of the, one of the ones that you hear frequently is, well, we're going to convert the other children at the, at the public school. And, of course, you know, we recognize we're in a spiritual war here. Uh, nobody ever sends children into a war, right, a, a physical war, much less a spiritual war. Um, you know, I think a lot of it is financial. I don't think parents like to admit that so much, but, you know, they like to drive the 2018 BMW, and they like the vacation home at the ski resort, and they think, well, you know, it's maybe not perfect, but I'll talk to the children at dinner, and I'll make sure I can unbrainwash them. Uh, the reality is that's not very effective. That's not a good plan. And, um, you know, you do hear people who um, who just come up with these excuses and rationalizations, but you can tell that deep down they know uh, that's not legitimate. And I think for Christians, this really should be absolutely simple and clear. Open up your Bible. What does God have to say about education? Who should be in charge of education? Right? God over and over again tells us in his word that parents are primarily responsible for education. God tells us twice in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right. And you know, every Christian parent in America, I don't care how much they want to remain ignorant of these things, every Christian parent in America knows not only do they not teach the fear of the Lord, you can't even mention the Lord. Right? You can't even say his name yeah. in school. And so any parent who thinks their child is going to get wisdom or knowledge at a public school where you can't even mention the Lord, uh, you know, you're fooling yourself, and, and you're doing it deliberately. Just open up the Bible. It's very, very clear, you know, the, the instructions in there for how parents ought to educate their children. And, I, you know, I think the, this message has really gone kind of from the fringes, Janet, to the mainstream. I mean, just in the last year, we've had Rush Limbaugh, right, biggest talk show host in America, said, get your kids out of public school, get them into homeschool. That's why they're so dumb. That's why they're so indoctrinated, because they're being brainwashed. Uh, you had Franklin Graham, right, one of the biggest evangelical leaders in America, after New Jersey passed this uh, mandatory LGBT indoctrination law last year, yep. said, you've got to get your children out of the public schools and, and get them into a safe Christian school. So this is now really becoming a mainstream movement. We had the President of the United States in his State of the Union speech earlier this year say that it's horrible that all these poor children are trapped, he said, <laughs> in, in the failing government schools. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is now uh, an incredible moment in history. Parents really should take this opportunity, jump on it, and do the right thing. Well, right, and I want to dive into some of the options that parents might have if they choose to make that leap, which I think is very wise to do. But one of the other things that comes to mind, Alex, is the fact that so many studies have shown how well homeschool kids do in outperforming their public school counterparts academically and on tests like the ACT. It makes a big difference when you have a Christian mom and dad who are really getting behind the education at home and really really kind of centering their lives around the education of those kids. It makes a very, very big difference, not only spiritually, but also academically. We're going to come back with Alex Newman. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. Stay with us. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The global COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact on the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. Sheltering in orders across the country are spiking the number of unplanned pregnancies, and the Preborn call center is inundated with girls calling us. Contrary to government mandates to stop elective surgeries, Planned Parenthood remains open, consuming scarce medical supplies, all the while aborting babies. 
Our clinics are offering free, Christ-centered alternatives to these women in this time of crisis. But our clinics need your help now more than ever. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and a direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in this time of need? Your gift of $28 will provide one free ultrasound. $140 will provide five free ultrasounds. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. From Kingdom Story Company comes I Still Believe. Available now for home viewing on demand. Based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe reminds us that amidst life storms, true hope can be found in Christ. He chose willingly to walk into the fire with her. That's what love is. I Still Believe. Starring K.J. Apa, Rick Robertson, Shania Twain, and Gary Sinise. More information is available at istillbelievemovie.com. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Think of the Lord's words. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Luke 6, verse 40. And I think about that in relation to education. Alex Newman is joining us from the new group called Public School Exit. And during this time of coronavirus lockdown, a lot more parents are seeing the wisdom in educating their children at home because so many children who are normally in the public schools happen to be home with mom and dad now. And could this be a turning point for a lot of, in particular, Christian families to reconsider the importance of Christian education. Alex Newman with us. Alex, you know, when you're talking about people considering homeschooling, there are always these kind of these same objections. We went over some of them before. But what about non-governmental alternatives? Because the internet has exploded with various options. There are all kinds of online tools that you can have. But what would public school exit recommend in terms of the alternatives to public school that might be good options? for various Christian families based on their particular situations. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. Thank you so much again for having me, Janet. Uh, there are, I mean, we've never been, at, at any point in human history, we've never had the amount of options and resources that we have right now for parents who want to get a good education for their children. And, you know, depending on your budget, depending on your family's values, depending on, you know, what denomination you might be in, it's going to look different for you. But, you uh, some of the options that uh, that we've been promoting on our website and that we're going to be uh, further promoting in the weeks and months and years ahead, uh, you know, there's a lot of great online schools for parents who are really on a low budget. In fact, one of our co-founders, uh, Dr. Duke Pesta, uh, he leads the Freedom Project Academy, which is an online K-12 school based, uh, you know, firmly rooted in Judeo-Christian values. We teach the children how to read using phonics. You know, they get real history. They get real science. Uh, also, we teach logic and philosophy and economics and all these other things that have really been lost from the public schools. Uh, and there's a lot of online schools like that, right? Liberty University has got one. Bob Jones University has got one. Right. And so there's a lot of these alternatives now that are popping up. And then for parents who want something a little more traditional, you know, brick-and-mortar school, there's incredible options all across the United States now. And so 
our first list of about 110 recommended brick-and-mortar schools, uh, we've actually uh, been working with the Foundation for American Christian Education. It's a foundation up in Virginia, and uh, they promote something called the principal approach to education, where basically everything uh, comes back to the Bible. And I was on a speaking tour last summer and uh, on education, uh, rescuing our children, and I had an opportunity to visit and to tour some of these principal approach schools, and I was just flabbergasted. The, the quality of the education, the, the happiness of the children, the, the love of learning, the love of God, uh, just blew me away. And so, you know, there's schools like this that use this methodology all over America, so that's kind of where we're starting. Uh, we do caution, though, Janet, that there's a lot of private schools that, you know, market themselves as Christian schools, and they claim, you know, they promote a biblical worldview and things like that. And then when you really dig down and look at the nitty-gritty, uh, they might be using Common Core, they might be using government school textbooks. So, you know, parents really have to do their due diligence. And, and as a ministry, Public School Exit, we are going to be, uh, one of the things we're going to be doing is helping parents navigate all these choices. And uh, we do hope that people will make use of those resources. We have a lot already up at publicschoolexit.com, and we'll be putting up much, much more in the months ahead. So. Well, that's really helpful. I, and I, I look at this. You've got a section where you talk about what you recommend and what you don't recommend, and you have a list of options, and then you have a list of some uh, options that you would not recommend. And I think that's helpful because when I speak to Christian parents, a lot of them have hesitation because nowadays they feel overwhelmed. They say, well, I, you know, there's so many options. I don't even know how to get started. I don't know if I should do online school with a video teacher set up or if I should do it all myself and which curriculum should I use. And it's so overwhelming. I'm just going to put my kid in public schools. That that would be the last option that you'd want to do. It would be. Yeah. And, and you know, frankly, most Americans realize this. A study came out uh, late last year, I think in October, by EdChoice, and they found that less than one-third of parents would choose government school. Right? I mean, parents instinctively know that that's not a good answer. Uh, the question is, do they understand how urgent this is? And if, again, if you go back to the government's own data, you see our children are dumber than they've ever been in all of our history. Uh, they're more radicalized than ever before. You know, my generation, 70% of millennials are now self-described socialists, according to a poll that was put out late last year by the uh, Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. So our challenge now uh, as a ministry, as public school exit, is to get parents to understand that you know it's, it's not just a nice luxury to get your children out of the government school system. It's essential. It's urgent. Uh, I mean, you know, we compare it to a burning building. Right? If, if the building was on fire, uh, you wouldn't start a committee. You wouldn't uh, you know sign a petition or run for school board. You'd run in that building. You'd grab your child and you'd run out the other direction. Um, and that's only because of the physical harm that you're concerned about, right? Now we have children who are being told that they can castrate themselves and become a new gender, uh, that you know, globalism and socialism, we've got to get rid of borders. Uh, this is terribly dangerous for children's physical well-being, their mental well-being, their academic well-being, and their spiritual well-being. And so parents, I think, need to really get, take this seriously. They already know that public school is not a good choice, but they need to recognize it's not just not a good choice, it is an absolutely terrible choice that will have lifelong consequences for your children. Yeah. And one of our, our uh, advisory board members, um, Dan, uh, Dan Smithwick of the Nehemiah Institute, he's been studying worldview now for decades of, of students in the public school system. And one of the things his, his research has shown is that something like 80% of Christian children from Christian homes who go through 12 years of government schooling will leave their church. 
So this is a crisis, not just for the church, but for our whole country, for our families, and we've got to take it seriously. Goodness, that's really scary. Because you're right, it does affect our entire republic when you give those statistics about how many millennials think socialism is just fine and dandy. It's scary because we know that it's a completely different philosophy, a deadly philosophy that has led to more than 100 million deaths in the 20th century. What role would you say that pastors and church leaders have to play in equipping churches with this biblical understanding of education, Alex, what do you most wish that pastors and churches would teach Christians about biblical education and what it means to give your child a Christian education? Yeah, and you know, I, I think pastors have a huge role to play here. And uh, one of our founders, uh, uh, Dran Reese, she's also the founder of the Salt and Light Council. They've been instrumental in this ministry. Uh, she's actually working with pastors nationwide on this issue, and, and I think all of us need to be talking with our pastors and our elders about this. You know, God has a lot to say about education, and pastors will get up and, and they'll say what God has to say about you know pretty much every subject under the sun, except when it comes to the education of children. And, you know, I recognize a lot of them are scared that they might offend somebody. You know, a lot of them say, hey, we got some public school teachers in here. We don't want to offend them. Well, guess what? Those public school teachers already know all these things that I'm telling you. That's why they're so much more likely than an average American to put their children in a Christian school or to homeschool their children, right? In our local homeschool co-op, public school parents are way overrepresented, public school teachers who have their children in our homeschool co-op, because they know. So pastors need to go to God's Word. What does God say about education? Who should be in charge of education, first of all? Find me any verse in the Bible that justifies having Caesar in charge of education. You'll never find one, no matter how hard you look. Right? Um, And and God says parents are in charge, and that's where we need to go with this, and pastors have have to preach that. Alex, do you have any recommendations for Christian parents on evaluating a a Christian school? For example, if you go to your local Christian school, or there might be several in your community that would be good options for your child, what what do you look for? What, What should you put your emphasis on in determining whether or not that would be a good place to send your child? Yeah, and that's an excellent question, Janet. I'm so glad you asked it. There's really a lot of things. And I think at the early grades, one of the most important things is you know, how does the school teach reading? And this has been something that I've been on for many, many years. I actually worked with Dr. Sam Blumenfeld on a book, Crimes of the Educators. Um, right now, all across America, public schools and many private schools are using a method of teaching reading called the whole word method that's been exposed as quackery since the 1840s. Yeah. Um, and this has dramatic effects on children's ability to read. And if they can't read properly, they can't read the Bible. So, you know, starting off in the early years, how are they teaching reading? Are they using a real genuine phonics program, or are they using the same garbage that's mandated under Common Core where the children are supposed to be memorizing sight words? If they're using sight words, cross them off your list, because that's not a good place. Second of all, their worldview. Are they really an actual Christian school? Are they actually teaching God's Word to your children? Are they teaching your children to think biblically? Are they teaching your children the true history of the United States and of the world? And if not, you got to pull them out. Look at their textbooks, too. Are their textbooks aligned with Common Core? Are their textbooks actually coming from a government school, or are they the same textbooks that the government schools use? And if they are, you know, that should be a really significant red flag. And so I think those are some good starting points, Janet, for where parents might want to look. Well, it's all really good information, especially as I know a lot of our listeners are home with their kids right now and maybe reconsidering sending their children back to the public school. It's a really important thing to make sure that you are in charge of your child's education and that they get a biblical education. It's the most important thing as a parent. Totally agree with you. Alex Newman, co-founder of Public School Exit. If you'd like to learn more, just go to their website. It's Public School 
DualExit.com. And thank you so much, Alex, for the information and stay healthy and well. And thanks so much for what you're doing. Thank you so much. And God bless you. You too. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for joining us as well here on Janet Meffer today. Always a pleasure to have you along and we'll see you next time. God bless.